Sometimes I say to my grandchildren that we are going to do thus and such, and they will reply, do you promise? We all like promises, especially good ones. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible is that it is a book of God's promises to his people. For instance, he has promised to us his presence. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, I am with you always. Isn't that an incredible promise? That God has said to you, I am with you always. No matter what you're going through, no matter how deep the water, no matter how great the challenges, God says, I am with you always. Not only does he promise his presence, but he also promises his power. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And boy, there are times when we especially need the power of God in our lives, isn't there? I was up here while you were singing, and I, I just bowed my head to say, God, I, I need your power. I, I desire your presence, manifest your presence, and demonstrate your power. But see, that's the promise of God. He has promised to us all the power we need in the Holy Spirit. He has promised provision. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19, he said, My God shall supply all your need. God's promise to you is that he will supply every need that you have. That's his promise. And then there's a wonderful promise to parents. I suppose we've all claimed it in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6, when the writer said, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You young marriage with children, with young children, need to hang on to that verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. God made many promises to his people Israel. In fact, I don't think it is possible to explain Israel other than the promises of God. When they were in Egyptian bondage, they cried out to God, asking God for deliverance. And God promised them that he was going to send a deliverer and that he was going to lead them to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But you see, God makes promises and then Satan tries to snatch those promises away. That was true with Israel, that's also true with you. And Israel always faced obstacles concerning the promises of God. They had prayed asking the Lord to deliver them, and the Lord miraculously moved, God miraculously intervened, and they were given their freedom. But then after Pharaoh gave them freedom, then he changed his mind and sent his army after them. When uh, Moses sent the spies into the promised land to spy out the land, then Mo the, the, the spies came back to Moses and said, but there are giants over there. And we're not able to go into the land that you have promised us because there are giants over there. When they came to the edge of the promised land, then Jericho stood in the way of them going in. So it is Joshua's defeat of Jericho that I want you to see with me this morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to the servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people will go up, every man, straight ahead. My friend in Israel, Ronnie, is a captain in the Israeli army, and he told me once that in their army they still study the strategy of Joshua, even to this day. So what I want us to do today is to look at the supernatural hero named Joshua. And the first thing I see is that he was a man with a supernatural vision. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we look at our world either through natural vision or supernatural vision. We either see with our physical eyes or we see the world with our spiritual eyes. It is my belief that if we see only with our natural vision that we have the tendency to focus on the problems that we see. Now, Israel always had problems and they had the tendency to focus on their problems. When they came, for instance, to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army was behind them, the Red Sea was in front of them, and they focused on the sea rather than on the one who could part the sea. And so the scripture says in Exodus 14:11, then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? He had brought them out of slavery. But now then they have an obstacle and they see the Red Sea, the Egyptian army behind them. And as they look, all they can see is the problem, not the one who is the problem solver. When they had no food to eat, they saw the problem, but not the one who could supply their need. In fact, the scripture says in Numbers 11:4, And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? They were out in the wilderness. They said, Who is going to feed us? Forgot all about the promises of God. And now the only thing they could see was that they had nothing to eat. God gave them leaders, Moses, Aaron, but they saw them as incompetent and they complained about their leadership. And so in Numbers 12, verses 1 and 2, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses and said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? But what I want you to see with Israel is that as they moved with God, 
They had the tendency only to see the problems, not the one who could solve the problem. Because their vision was a physical vision. They did not see with supernatural eyes. I think that also happens with churches when a church is unspiritual. That church has a tendency to always focus on the obstacles rather than on God. And then when the Lord attempts to lead that church to do great things, things that are beyond their ability, we don't see his sufficiency, instead we see our insufficiency. We don't see our adequate God, instead we tend to see our inadequacy. And you know what churches will do then? God will put something in their heart. This is what I want you to do. But then we begin to focus on the money. Isn't that interesting? We always begin to focus on the money. Well, we don't have the money to do this, or we don't have the money to do that. Rather, than, And so we must think that the Lord is broke. We have a tendency to focus on the money. We see the problems. Now, when you're a church like First Baptist, let me tell you our natural problem on which we focus. We have a tendency to focus on our location. And we say, well, you know, we're downtown. People have to drive a long way to get there. In fact, a lot of times I'll be talking with someone and invite them to the church and they will say, well, you know, that's all. We live a long way from the church. I said, I do too. Everybody who comes there by and large lives a long way from the church. But sometimes we get to thinking, well, because we're downtown, we can't reach people. They're going to go somewhere else. And so we don't make the attempt. It reminds me of the first little church that I pastored part-time. The church was located in an area on a piece of land that had been given to them, and they were very proud of the fact that the land had been given to them. And I said to them one time, you know, this is the most expensive piece of land in town because it was surrounded by three dead ends. I mean, you couldn't get there from anywhere. It was dead end this way, dead end this way, dead end this way. And so it was very difficult to get there. But did you know that we just believed God and that church crippled in its attendance? You see, a lot of times what we do is we, we focus our attention on the things we don't like. We, we focus our attention on the problems that we have rather than on the Lord. That is what Israel always did. Folks, when we focus on the problems rather than on God, then we become a problem-focused people. There are some of you young people, you think, well, you know, I'd like to go to college, but... I don't have the money to do that, or I don't have the contacts to do that, or I don't have the SAT score to do that, or I don't have the grades to do that. And so you focus on your problems rather than on improving your grades. Business people do that. I, you know, I can't advance in, in my job. There are too many obstacles there. I just can't do it. And so we settle in to where we are in the first television station I worked at. There was a young man who just graduated from college, came to work there. I, I just, I was so impressed with him because he began immediately to move up the ladder. I mean, he's getting promotion after promotion and he's going on up the ladder. And within less than a year, he had become vice president of the station. His daddy owned the station. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. And I thought, I'd like to be him. But sometimes we focus on all of these difficult issues we have, the problems that we have, rather than see the Lord. You see, a natural vision sees problems. A supernatural vision sees God. 
And that's what Joshua did. You look in verse number 14b. What is my Lord to say to his servant and the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, move your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Here's what I want you to see about Joshua. He came and he saw Jericho that stood in the way of the promised land. But then he saw the Lord. What I want you to understand is that his vision shifted. His vision shifted away from the obstacle to the Lord. Let me ask you, is your vision a natural vision or a supernatural vision? Do you have physical vision only or spiritual vision? Do you see the problems surrounding you and become discouraged? Or do you see the Lord and become encouraged? Believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Joshua was a man who had a supernatural vision. But then he was also a man who had a supernatural plan. He had the vision, but he had a plan. God's plans sometimes seem strange to us, don't they? But he's told us that. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And his plan for victory is seldom like ours. I look over at chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord. Then on the seventh day you'll march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets and so forth. So, so here's the Lord giving Joshua his plan for capturing the city. So now what I want you to do is get your people out there and march around the city. March around the city and blow some horns, and then I want you to shout. Say what? What kind of plan is that? God, I could have come up with a better plan than that. You want me to send people out here marching around the... Isn't that silly? I mean, it is to me. You want me to send out people, march around the city a few times, do it for six days, go out there on the seventh day, do it seven times, and then blow some horns and shout. God's plan sometimes seems strange to me. I was reading over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat was surrounded by his enemy and so he went to the Lord in prayer and God said, don't worry about a thing, I'll take care of it. The battle is mine, not yours. Jehoshaphat said, well, what do you want us to do? He said, well, why don't you tomorrow you get your choir together? No, I'm looking for some military people. I want you to get your choir together and send them out to sing. And I want them out there singing, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. you got to be kidding me. God, we're surrounded here by the enemy and you want me to send the choir out. And you want them to go out there, so where are the tanks? You know, where's the military? Where's the air force? And I want you to send the choir out. Sometimes God's plans seem strange to me. His plan for salvation seems strange to me. Jesus died that I might be saved. Jesus died that I might live. Jesus lived a sinless life that I might be forgiven of my sins. He died on the, all that thing. You know, it seems to me, Lord, now, if I were advising the Lord, I'd say, you know, Lord, have you ever thought about if people were religious, that that'd probably be the better way? I mean, if they did something religious, join the Baptist church. Tithe. Got bad times. Did some things like, do something religious, Lord. Isn't that it? No, that's not going to be it. Well, what about if they did some religious works? 
What if they lived by the golden rule? They treated others as they wanted to be treated. Wouldn't that be good? No. What if they were sincere? I mean, they just really were sincere in what they believed. Would that not be good? No. So the Lord says, here's the way it is. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God said, no, let me tell you how salvation works. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus. And by my grace, I'll save you. Well, that, that, that's not a plan I would have come up with, but that's the Lord's plan. Even his plans for finances seem strange to me. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What's that all about? Give, and it shall be given to you. I thought you were supposed to invest. I thought you were supposed to make money. But he says, no, listen, trust me, give, and then I'll take care of you. So we respond to God's plan then in faith, even when we don't understand it. I'm sure Joshua didn't understand it there in verse number 6. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. I'm sure that didn't make sense to him. God says, I want you to get your people out there, walk around the city, blow some horns and shout. And Joshua said, Okay. Guys, y'all get out there and we're just going to start walking around the city. And, and uh, at the proper time, I want you to blow the horns and then we're going to shout. You see, he did it. I don't think he understood it, but he did it. There's a lot of times I feel impressed to the Lord to do something that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. In fact, the truth is I understand God's will best in retrospect. But isn't that the way faith works? That while I'm doing it, then I'm having to trust the Lord. That's faith. And then when I look back and see what the Lord did, I said, I see what you were doing. It didn't make any sense to me at the time. But I don't have to understand what the Lord wants us to do, what the Lord wants me to do. I am to be obedient to the Lord. I'm to be obedient to the Lord even when I don't agree with what He is doing. And that's a supernatural plan. We're obedient to the Lord. Third thing I see is a supernatural patience. Now, in many situations, patience is required, though it does not... Normally uh, is not normally our long suit. Now, we see the Lord's promise in chapter 6, verse number 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. God said, I'm going to give you Jericho. And then you look over at chapter 6, verse number 14. Thus the second day they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. They did so six days, and it came about on the seventh day. They rose early in the dawning of the day, marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. Now, I think that Joshua had tremendous patience. God said to him, I'm going to give the city to you. Now, this is what I want you to do. And so for seven days, he's out there just doing what the Lord told him to do. That required a great deal of patience. Faith in the Lord and patience. Bill McGlashan said, Patience is something you admire in the driver behind you, but not in the one ahead. Most of us don't have a whole lot of patience, do we? Oh, you look very patient sitting out there, but I see you looking at your watch and, my goodness, how long is he going to go on? When we want something, we want it right now. That's the reason that we get in trouble with our credit cards. I don't want to wait till I've got the money. I want it right now. I saw a bumper sticker not long ago that said, I shop like a bull. 
I charge everything. That's how some of us get in trouble. We don't want to wait. I mean, you young people, be careful because there will come a time you think, well, I need to get married. And rather than waiting on the Lord to bring the right one to you, just whoever's willing. And then there will come a time when you think, what in the world did I do? Now, that's not my testimony, but I'm saying that that's the testimony of a lot of people. We need to learn to be patient. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 36, the writer says, For you have need of endurance, or you have need of patience. We need to wait on the Lord. And that's hard for us, isn't it? Because I want the Lord to do something right now. When I have a need, I want it met right now. When I have a wish, I want it met right now. And the Bible says, You have need of endurance, you have need of patience. So he had a supernatural patience. And then there was a supernatural result. I believe that if we have a supernatural vision, a supernatural plan, we have supernatural patience, then we're going to see the supernatural work of God. Jericho failed. You know the story. Jericho failed. But I went back and looked at the progression as to what happened with Joshua. When they came to Jericho... He saw the obstacle. He saw the city standing in the way. But then he looked beyond the city and saw the Lord. And the Bible says that he worshiped God. That would be different for most of us, wouldn't it? That when we see a problem, rather than attacking the problem, or rather than complaining about the problem, or rather than changing directions, or rather than being discouraged as a result of the problem that we simply fell on our knees, and worship the Lord. That's what he did. He saw Jericho, the obstacle, the problem that was there, and he worshiped God. He obeyed God, even though the plan seemed strange to him, I'm sure. God said, I want you to get your people and march around and blow the horns and shout. Seemed strange to him, but in faith he obeyed the Lord, and then he waited. He waited. He waited for the Lord to do what only God can do, and there was victory in chapter 6, verse number 20. So the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets, and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Jericho's the oldest city in the ancient world. I've been there and have seen the remains of it where the walls fell down and they came in and took the city. But the thing that is impressive to me about it is the way that Joshua went about all of it. How he saw the obstacle and then looked past the obstacle to the Lord. How he responded to God's plan in faith doing what he said. How he waited on the Lord to do what God had promised he would do. And then the Bible says that they took the city. When we have God's vision, God's plan, and we're patient, I believe that our obstacles will fall. With faith in God, we will do what he says, and victory comes from him. Now let me conclude. God gives victory, I think, to those who live by faith in him. I believe that if you want to be victorious in your life, 
that you have to live a life of faith. Because I, I look at the nation of Israel, and every act of faith they took resulted in victory. When they came to the Red Sea, they complained because they said, the sea is in front of us, the army is behind us, there's nothing that we can do. But I've read that and you've read that. When, when Moses put his foot in the sea, the sea split. They walked across on dry ground. Now that did not happen until he acted in faith. The water did not split until he acted in faith. It was, it was when he put his foot in the water that the water split. When the Hebrews were in the wilderness and they were looking for food and they cried out to God and God sent manna. The word manna literally means what is it? They didn't know what it was. What is it? But God sent them food. They complained about it later, but I mean they had manna with everything. They had manna helper. I mean it was manna was with everything. And then they complained about it, but God provided. When they came to the city of Jericho and they looked to the Lord again and in faith they responded and the walls fell. Folks, I believe that God has made some wonderful promises to the church. I believe that he has made some wonderful promises to you. You know what he said to the church? He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, a lot of times the way we see that is in a defensive posture that there are the gates and the church is back here safe and the gates are going to stand. But actually it's an aggressive posture with the church attacking the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. Sometimes we think that we are being overwhelmed by Satan and evil and so forth. Well, that's because we're not on the attack. Because that's the promise of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God has a wonderful plan for your life, wonderful promises for your life. But you have to move in faith. You have to live in faith. You have to act in faith. And sometimes that requires more patience than we want to give. But as we act in faith, the walls come tumbling down. So what I'm asking you from this is to look to the example of Joshua. Have a supernatural vision. See through eyes of faith. Rather than see the obstacles, rather than see the difficulties, rather than see what is here, look beyond and see God. See God. Have a supernatural vision, a supernatural plan. Simply ask, God, what do you want me to do? Is that exciting to you? God, what do you want me to do? It's scary to me. It always has been. You know, and, and sometimes I'm a little hesitant to do, to ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? Because I'm scared he'll tell me. And I'm scared he'll tell me to do something I really don't want to do. But how exciting that is. God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? Supernatural plan and then supernatural patience. What doing, God? You don't have to work everything out yourself. I'm just learning that at this stage of my life. I've tried for years, and I know whenever you're younger, you have more of a tendency to do that. I'll just work it out myself, but I'm finally learning a little bit more about that, to wait on the Lord, to let God do it. And I believe that God will bring a supernatural result as you trust Him. Are you doing that? That is the most exciting life you can live, my friend. A life of faith and trust in God. Exciting adventure. I encourage you today to get in line with God. Say, God, whatever you want to do, I want to be a part of it. And that should begin in this moment, right now.
Our gracious Father and God, we come to you thanking you so much for the wonderful life that you provide for us, that you offer to us. Lord, today I would pray for those who have never begun the adventure of walking with you, that they might trust Jesus as their Savior. Lord, for those who are walking with you and yet they are looking at the world with physical eyes, with natural vision, help them to see you. Lord, help them to walk in your plan, just letting you work things out to your glory and for their good. But Lord, today may we commit ourselves afresh and anew to being obedient to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand for the invitation. The choir will sing. But then, uh, what will you do? If you're here without Jesus today, would you invite him into your heart? Commit your life to him. Begin the adventure with him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you a part. Whatever God's speaking to your heart about, do it today. Stand with me, please, as we stand in the choir sings. You come, I'll greet you as you do.